Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by my friend Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, good to talk to you again this week. Ryan, it's wonderful. You know, you're like my my Saturday mid-morning cup of coffee. Yeah, only I'm more annoying because I make you work and, and type <laughs> and set up a microphone. And yeah, yeah. But other, other than that, very relaxing. I know I'm getting this uh, down pat. I think I'm on my third cup of coffee. I'm I'm still recovering <laughs> from uh, Dell Technologies World. Uh, it's my fourth trip to Vegas in four months, and I'm, s- um, I'm, I'm getting really good at Vegas. So yeah, yeah. If one thing, familiarity does make it easy to get around and know where you need to be and how long it takes to get anywhere. But that let let's jump into the first topic then, which is Dell Technologies World. You were out in Vegas to cover that. It's you were out there for what two or three days, right? Um, and they, yeah. had, they had quite a bit of stuff there. They did. I was out there from Sunday to Thursday, and it's one of the larger tech events out there. It's 14,000 attendees. So you have uh, Dell Tech customers, uh, press, analysts. I mean, the press and analyst room was was, uh, was gigantic. Hmm. Um, but I wanted to focus on a couple things. So first off, so Dell Technologies is a conglomeration of many companies. It's Dell. It's Dell EMC. It's VMware. It's Virtustream, it's RSA, SecureWorks, and others. So they're independent companies, but they operate uh, at certain levels as one. And this year, I really felt like the companies were coming together, especially VMware, who has been very standoffish. You know, they do most of their business with companies other than Dell, so they they have to watch what they say. But even VMware CEO Pat Gelsinger, when he got on the stage, uh, it felt like he was embracing the company more. In fact, he got a day one keynote, and, oh. and I see that as a as a big deal. Yeah. Uh, on the product side, uh, I saw a lot of big configurations that that were brought out on the PowerEdge side. There was uh, a four socket, four GPU, um, eight FPGA, thirty two. Uh, NVMe storage module server roar uh, called the <laughs> called the 940 XE. Okay, and definitely designed for acceleration. Sorry, XA stands for extreme acceleration, but uh, it, it's what you would expect uh, for enterprise to to do machine learning training, uh, SAP uh, uh, stuff like that. And then they followed up with uh, Power uh, PowerMax Storage, which um, is another beast uh, beast of a uh, design. Uh, Ten million uh, IOPS, which is just a really simpler, very simple way of, as you would know, of of doing uh, measuring storage performance. And right. it's a lot more than that, but but that still gives you the idea of just how how beastly that is. Uh, they're calling it storage class memory ready which uh, to me is more than a marketing term. And what that means is when SCM does come into systems, SCM can be put into the same tier as PowerMax. So if, if you're using um, um, you know, Intel or Samsung SCM, once it's available, you can, you can put that in, into the tiering. And I have to do a little bit more work on that. I have a, I have a storage analyst who's going to dig deep on this, but uh, they say that they... Uh, that the storage unit makes 6 billion autonomous decisions based on 40 million data sets per day. So uh, my guy is going to dig into that. 
um, hey, everybody needs more more AI, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I got to I, I want to compare that to what Pure Storage is doing on their AI optimized uh, flash blades. And those, to me, were the highlights. VMware made a few announcements about extending their um, their connected cloud to Azure, which to me was only a matter of time. Right. And then they talked about having thousands of customers on uh, AWS. So hmm. it's uh, it's moving. Do you think that the so you know you talk about the servers, the XA, uh, and what impact that has on AI. Do, it's always interesting for me to talk about the kind of OEM implementations of these devices. I, I'm very used to talking to NVIDIA or Google or AMD or Qualcomm about artificial intelligence at the architectural level, at, at about the, you know, the, the SOC level. Um, I mean, how much effort or, or how much capability does Dell have to really market their devices towards these companies that are just starting out with machine learning or AI and, and uh, I guess these devices are, are meant to target that specific audience. It is. So they are, are doing actually pretty well in that space. And the one data point that I have is quarter on quarter, they had a 40% increase in server revenue mm. uh, and a 7% improvement in units. And I dug into that and talked to the Dell folks and they said, it's these beastly configurations that have GPUs, a ton of memory, and a ton of storage. So they're actually doing pretty well there. The funny part, too, is, is and I actually talked to Michael Dell about this when I was there, Dell is doing very well in China, hmm. uh, which, which was super uh, shocking to me. Because, you know, if you're, if you're an enterprise, you're not going to want to put your most strategic data uh, in the cloud. And well, you might say, well, hey, the, the CIA, the NSR, NSA are doing this. Well, uh, Amazon is building a, a, a data center just for them. <laughs> it doesn't right. share, any, share any data. It has no links uh, externally. It's NIST certified for uh, you know top secret. So that's the big difference. And um, putting training data uh, because uh, ML training uses big data, getting the data into the cloud is no um, is no easy thing. And right. I think that AWS has a service called is it Snowblower, um, where you actually they they send a a truck to your your facility, pick up your storage, and take it to one of their data centers. Because it just oh right 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 it, it, snowmobile too, snowmobile okay it's just too much data so I I don't <laughs> think it's a foregone conclusion that that training is is done in the public cloud but you know yeah. it's it's an option yeah. Uh, the other topic, next topic I wanted to get to was Apple earnings. This had been something that has been, you know, rife with rumor and discussion for probably the last month almost, uh, with plenty of people out there talking about that the iPhone X was going to end up being kind of a disappointing sales point for them. The rumors of the iPhone X being canceled early, not canceled, but, you know, production stopped early um, due to poor consumer response. 
Uh, and I think there were probably a lot of people out there that were really, you know, as, as is always the case, when you're the leader, you have a bunch of people rooting against you. And I think a lot of people were hoping that this would be the case. Aha, finally, Apple has has hit the top or they, they've made that mistake with uh, removing Touch ID or adding the notch and all that type of stuff. And then, of course, we get the earnings in and, you know, units are up 3% and revenues up, what, 14, 15% on iPhone. And none of that appears to have been true. I know it was such a failure that their most expensive model, the iPhone 10, uh, was the best unit volume, right? Yeah. That's like that's like saying, I, I don't know, it's like saying, you know, the BMW 7 Series is BMW's right. best-selling best unit car. That's not the case. It's it's the 3 Series, right? Yep. So what a coup. And, you know, I did a little bit of it. I went, definitely went... Uh, across the grain about 12 days ago when that ridiculous report uh, came out that drove um, drove Apple stock down 4%. And I guess, you know, mm. they're worth almost a trillion dollars. Uh, that that That's a lot of value. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the record as saying absurd and reckless, right? And listen, I, I usually don't go that, that, that hard on anything. But to me, it was absurd in that uh, you can't go from one quarter to the best seller to wanting to kill it, and reckless in that it impacts uh, shareholder prices, which aren't just rich fat cats, but people who have 401ks. So yeah, I really lean into that, and, and I just think it shows the staying power and the willingness of people to, to spend a ton of money. I think it was at $12 extra a month. Uh, over two years that, that that you would have to pay versus iPhone 10 versus iPhone 8. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Um, you know, I, I, I even though I didn't really believe that this was going to be some catastrophic failure for Apple, I, I would not have honestly predicted the iPhone 10 would have outsold the iPhone 8 um, over that time period. Anecdotally, I know a lot of people that have bought both, um, and I knew that there was there was more of a sentiment out there that eh, the 10 doesn't really have anything that I really wanted and the 8 seems to have the you know the, the performance upgrades I wanted and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I did kind of expect it to be close. I guess they didn't go into any more detail on that in terms of, hey, maybe the 8 was only one point behind or something. But still, if you can offer a $1,000 plus smartphone and have that end up being the, the top drawer for your company, obviously you're you know the audience pretty well. So revenue up 14%, even though units were only up 3%, tells you that the ASP has gone up, right, by a pretty dramatic margin. I think I did the math and we ended up, if you divide units by revenue, you're talking an average selling price of $737 per iPhone, um, which is just mind-blowing in the world of consumer electronics. Right. And you compare to all the other, you know, all the Android smartphones out there. What do you think that ASP is going to be? Maybe one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars, something like that. Uh, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing they do. And they continue continue to do. Also impressive is that uh, their services revenue was up thirty one percent year over year. That's I know. I know it is. It is crazy. And I, you know, the uh, the only blemish that I saw was really that was it max were flat. <laughs> yeah. Not that they've, not that they dropped, that they just didn't grow. And not that they actually try their hardest. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not wrong. 
Uh, so, you know, Apple will continue to, to make a ton of money. And I think their, their stock has clearly recovered from that 4% drop. I think they're at their, uh, they're at their all-time high once again. So, let's see. Up next, you wrote a piece on Forbes covering NVIDIA's GPP, otherwise known as the GeForce Partner Program. This was, uh, I guess we should say, it has been created and has now been destroyed in that it was attempting to get its partners to align with the GeForce brand more exclusively, I would say. Um, The general idea that I took from it was that NVIDIA, knowing that they have a market share leadership, knowing that they have a huge unit uh, leadership that they have, they consider themselves to have, and I think most people consider them to have the technological leadership in terms of graphics cards and and PC gaming, even though AMD is doing its work to catch up. Um, NVIDIA wants to own this market. They want to be the brand associated with PC gaming, even more so than they are today. And I think part of the idea of the partner program, although maybe NVIDIA never came out and said it in the way that it was, you know, actually implemented, was that they, you know, hey, we wanted to be able to say that, you know, if HP has Omen, Omen is a GeForce brand. And they didn't want to include have them include Radeon in there or for their add-in card v- vendors, right? Asus ROG, Republic of Gamers. Um, G- NVIDIA believed that there was confusion if you could buy a Republic of Gamers card that had a Radeon chip in it and one that had a GeForce chip in it. And their goal was to say, okay, pick a brand, that's for us, and then you can pick a brand or make a brand, and that's for them. And it caused a lot of pushback in terms of publicity and media coverage uh, and community outlash because it was taken as kind of a anti-competitive thing. Whether or not it was legally or not has not been determined and may never be determined at this point. But I think there was there was a lot of pushback for it. And as a result, this week, just this past week, NVIDIA announced that they were ending it in order to kind of I know, allow their teams to just focus on the graphics capability and the products themselves. Is that kind of how you how you viewed it? Yeah, this was the quickest birth and death of a program I think I've ever seen. So on March 1st, NVIDIA wrote a blog uh, announcing it or talking about it. And then about a week later, uh, Kyle from OCP uh, wrote his uh, first article. And yeah, there was a a pretty big, big storm uh, around that. You know, I've spent, gosh, almost 30 years. I've created marketing programs. I've been on the receiving end as an OEM. Mm -hmm. uh, And and I've seen uh, a lot of this stuff. And I do believe that this would have resulted in AMD and Intel graphics getting the lesser brand uh, and the ability to go in and have to spend a lot of money. And and I think for some, some of the card makers and system OEMs, it would have been a real pain to, to go off and, and do that. And the, another part that the program talked about was that you had to have an NVIDIA uh, offering at every every tier. So, you know, premium, mid-range, and, and low-end. So mm. there were a lot of things that, that people had to do to get the benefits uh, of, of the program and, and, and stuff like that. Now, I, I, you know, I've been on the receiving end of stuff like this, and, you know, this is, is, is challenging, but... You know, I think there's a big difference between anti-competitive in the in the legal sense. Um, I had a lot of experience uh, being at AMD uh, with with uh, anti-competitive stuff, and I've been you know deposed 
30, 36 hours, in fact, uh, the <laughs> Texas uh, on stuff. I have a little bit of experience in that, but I'm not a lawyer. Sure. Um, uh, I also know that, you know, NVIDIA is no dummy. They have they have a ton of lawyers and and I am sure this obviously passed <clears throat> legal uh, legal scrutiny. There were a ton of things in retrospect, I think NVIDIA could have done that could have been better to, to show that, Hey, we're not hiding anything here, right? We're not trying to, you know, pull something off. Uh, and I would have loved to have seen a, a GPP customer who liked it go on the record and say, man, I'm really glad that NVIDIA did this, you know, sure. that, that would have been, uh, re reassuring. I think, you know, when, when Kyle talked about uh, a program guide or something being online, uh, being available, I, I think that would have been nice to have been seen publicly. Oh, sure. Right. And, and you know, what I, what I, I did see of the guide, you know, the wording on allocation, rebates and MDF, who, who can get it and who doesn't should have been, uh, should have been clarified. So I think NVIDIA uh, could have communicated this just dramatically different, differently at, at, at multiple, at, at multiple steps. Yeah. And another reason probably for the death of this is that AMD was using it to its benefit. They had kind of <laughs> created a marketing plan around this. So regardless of what was true or not, you know, the, the prevailing mindset was that this was an anti-competitive thing. It was trying to take choices away from consumers and AMD leaned into that, right? And they and they were, you know, their their VP of of Radeon products is out there tweeting about we believe in openness, we believe in choice, we're gonna keep providing you this. They were sending out, you know, marketing emails, they created marketing videos, um, all about, you know, being the open, honest company involving, you know, around PC graphics and they weren't trying to control the market. Um and I'm sure that yeah. abso does absolutely has some effect on NVIDIA. They're like, oh, geez, we really want to get involved with this battle again. Um, and so AMD ran, AMD ran an exceptional challenger play. Oh, yeah. Um, and they've done that a long time. And they've done that on the CPU side, and they've done that on the GPU side prior to that. And it, and it works, right? And it's, and it's valuable when you are the smaller guy in that, in that fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, to gain that market share. Yeah. It, it, it works for sure. Um, and you always have to make sure that you're not looking like the victim. And, you know, in this case, I think AMD did a good job, you know, not playing the victim, but, but playing, you know, the, the pro competition, uh, company. Right. Yeah. So I guess regardless of that now it's, it's apparently, it's apparently off. Um, I am curious. Some of this had already started to been implemented. Asus had created the Ares brand, A-R-E-Z, that they had launched last week, a week and a half ago, that was exclusively Radeon products. AMD had promoted it as being, you know, the the brand from, from Asus for add-in cards that was going to create the open and promote the open standard. Um, and now that the GPP program is done unless NVIDIA is replacing it with something else or whatever. Like if you're, if you're Asus, you've paid for brand development, you've paid for design of new boxes and labeling and probably marketing and campaign products. And that, yeah. So that's, that's kind of going to be a mess. And I'm sure they're not the only ones that had started down that path. So 
I guess in the end, uh, the the community got what it wanted, right? That that gaming community. So, GPP is over. Dun dun. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, uh, Windows 10 April update is finally out. I think it was actually released on May 1st, unless I'm um, <laughs> unless I'm forgetting something. Uh, maybe it was in Australia. You know? Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so what are the changes to this? The ones that I that stand out to me because I've been paying attention to that side for a long time are improvements for the Windows on Snapdragon, Windows on ARM kind of performance and capabilities. Um, but I know there's a lot of stuff that's coming general purpose, including like timeline. And you were talking about Gasp actually using Edge as your primary browser, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, total total gasp here. But no, I think uh, timeline is going to be really um, useful. I've I've been an insider. I mean, I'm just kind of perpetually an insider. Yeah. Uh, and I've been using uh, timeline, and and particularly timeline that I, that I think is pretty cool. And what it does is it it helps me uh, pong between my multiple PCs and my phone uh, to 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 kind of you know, show me exactly where, where I am, when, and then through Cortana, you know, I, I have this, uh, resume all. So where I just come in and, and it's almost there. It's not, it's not perfect, uh, for sure, but, um, I, I can see it getting a, a lot better over time. And, you know, edge, listen, I have been, I have tried to use edge as my primary browser five or six times. And, I literally was getting pretty mad because, you know, Microsoft to me was pushing it really hard on people. And it's like, listen, fix your stuff and and I will stop pushing this thing on on me and other users. But the the improvements they made and that that were either super annoying or just didn't work, like importing bookmarks from Chrome actually works. (laughs) Syncing between browsers, between systems actually works like it should and i have an there's a a browser for ios and android right um now still doesn't run my go-to cord cutting direct tv now uh still doesn't have a buffer extension but hey it does have a grammarly extension now Mm. thank you very much um so you know gosh give me enough value and timeline and and i can see myself switching over because you have to you know you, you can't sync what you're browsing without using uh edge uh, on your phone at least not currently ideally they you know will will open this up to other developers to implement their applications but then that re- you know requires external input right it requires other people to do work for for this instance you know microsoft's getting its own applications to work easily with it um timeline does sound like the thing that would be the most compelling upgrade here. Uh, and it, it, and I think it's almost kind of lost on people now that we used to pay for these updates. Uh, that's right. We, yeah. We, this whole windows as a service thing is, is definitely, definitely happening. Yeah. I mean, so. it was, it was Apple that kind of started it and pushed it. The fact that you bought an OS once and it was relatively cheap. Um, and then you, you got some, some pretty significant upgrades along the way. Keeping in mind that windows 10 launched in 2015, right? So we're now, you know, July, 2015. So we're kind of coming up on that, on that three year mark where 
we're still not being charged. We're getting some substantial new features and capabilities, you know, performance improvements, security improvements, all of that coming along the way. And Microsoft is proving that it can, as we talked about last week with its earnings, maintain profitability, maintain dominance in this OS world, and not try to ask me for 100 bucks every two years to upgrade the OS. Right, right. I, I think we will see a pairing back of the basic features of of windows that you know less less intense users and then we'll be paying for the services right you know because there are no free lunches sure here and listen but five bucks a month for me for office 365 that also gets me a terabyte of of OneDrive storage i mean you'd literally have to be a fool not to not yep. to sign up for that yep i i'm with you yeah uh, all right, everybody, that is going to be it for this week. You can uh, download all future episodes or past episodes at thetechanalysts.com. You can find uh, find us on iTunes or Google Play, or you can go to the URL, thetechanalysts.com, and find our RSS file if you are still uh, subscribing through old-fashioned ways like that. Um, and uh, that's it. I guess we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Thanks.